The Anton Savage Show with Nifty Business on News Talk. Today, of course, is the second anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which has uh, had massive upheaval across Europe, significant political uh, upheaval across the world, and has changed much of Irish politics with the uh, arrival of hundreds of thousands, or at least 100,000 uh, Ukrainian refugees fleeing the war. We're going to talk about the, the refugee experience and also the, the experience on the ground with Tom McEnany, who is media consultant and founder of EffectiveUkraine.org. Before that, though, John Sweeney is with us. He's former investigative journalist at the BBC and he's author of Killer in the Kremlin. John, before we get to the details of what is happening in Ukraine, is it a fair inference that Ukraine was a tipping point in terms of the rest of the world's understanding of Vladimir Putin, the type of individual he is and what needs to be done to deal with him? Yes, Anton. To be honest, I mean, the evidence was there long before the big war against Ukraine um, in 22, in February 22, two years ago. But it was the moment, I think, when 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 it became impossible um, for Western politicians to deny the reality that Vladimir Putin is a massive liar and a psychopath and an invader. I mean, he said, you know, repeatedly, the Kremlin said, we were not going to invade Ukraine. Bang, what happens? They invade Ukraine. So it feels to me is from, from February the 24th, 22 onwards, no one can possibly trust a word Vladimir Putin says. You're one of the few people to have had the opportunity to challenge him face to face in, in uh, interviews and, and to put actual um, questions with teeth to him. What was it originally that caused you to believe that the Western view of Putin was wrong because there was a sense that he was someone with whom business could be done and that he was a Russian reformer rather than dictator. Well, I think that was a mistake from the get-go. I went to Chechnya uh, 23 years ago undercover, actually um, in in February, and, and I saw evidence of Russian army war crimes um, on repeat against the Chechens. Now, remember the Chechens are different to the Ukrainians in that Chechnya is is a is part of Russia legally and formally, and they're Muslim and they're from the mountains and da 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 whatever. But but it struck me that what um, that the <clears throat> what both George W. Bush and Tony Blair was doing was was playing nicely with Vladimir Putin, and I said. It was a mistake, and in my, the newspaper, The Observer, I wrote that Vladimir Putin was a war criminal 23 years ago. And since then, what's happened is that we've understood more about the Moscow apartment bombings in September 99, where around 300 Russians were killed. Almost the evidence is overwhelming that this was a black operation by the Russian secret police, old name KGB, new name FSB. But then, for example, taking the British perspective, there is the murder of Litvinenko uh, with Polonium 210 in 2006, and the attempted poisoning of Sergei Skripal in Salisbury with Novichok in 2018, and the uh, the death of Dawn Sturgis, an entirely innocent Wiltshire lass, because of the Russian poisoners. Now, and then there's the moment I met Putin himself, which is 2014. It's the shooting down of the MH17 um, uh, a plane going from Amsterdam to, to Kuala Lumpur. 
any one of those moments is the moment where the West should have woken up and said, this guy is not our friend. When I met him, um, Anton, in 2014, uh, this was after the shooting down of MH17. I, I went there and I saw dead bodies. I saw the nose cone. I saw the engines. I saw ladies, you know, hats in the field, paperbacks, and also those trunkies, those little little um, uh, suitcases that you wheel along with a toddler on top. And, and whenever I see one of those at Gatwick these days, I still tear up. And, and, and we thought, how can we, how can we doorstep Vladimir Putin? And um, I was working at Panorama, and somebody said, it's impossible in Moscow and St. Petersburg, security is too tight. But somebody else said, oh, no, 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 no. In the sticks, you can sometimes get at him. And somebody else said, he's opening a mammoth museum in Siberia. And then the editor of Panorama said, have you got any reporters that look like a professor of mammothology? And everybody looked at me. <laughs> and I, anyway, I rocked up there. And there he is, and he comes at me. And he's kind of, he walks like a gangster, like a little gangster, or like the frightening man on the doors at some pub. Um, and he gets in, and I challenge him. What about the killings in Ukraine? And he gives a long and very, very boring answer. But essentially, I've got my question. And what happens about a couple of hours later is he's opening some pipeline thingy. It's a display rather than a real thing with a Chinese deputy vice prime minister. And a man in a suit comes up to me and thumps me in the stomach. The Kremlin didn't like my question. So if he has since managed to get himself in a position where the only effective questions that he gets from independent journalists are like the Tucker Carlson puff piece that he did the week before and where he is at least at home and totally, almost totally in charge of the propaganda. When you see his his megalomania in terms of Ukraine and his expansionist intent and you see the apparently ineffective Western response, we saw more uh, sanctions yesterday, but to what avail, what's the end game with the war in Ukraine? What ultimately resolves this? What ultimately has an effect on a man like Putin? Well, so I'm very sceptical for the latest round of sanctions announced by Joe Biden that's going to have any meaningful effect. Um, I think the, um, I'm afraid I'm going to talk like a London cab driver, violence is the only language he understands. And we need to help the Ukrainians with, um, with tanks and artillery and drones and everything that, that they can that they need to kick the Russian killing machine out of their country. And uh, and we haven't given them enough. And there is a real danger that the West is, is in danger of betraying Ukraine. Uh, let's just talk about tanks. The British have given 14 tanks. The, um, the Germans and the other Europeans, maybe 300 or so Leopard tanks, and the Americans, something like 31 Abrahams tanks. The total there is something around 450, maybe, max. Ukrainians have knocked out 2,000 Russian tanks, and the Russians have got 8,000 tanks left. So what we have given is nothing. By the way, I'm fully conscious of who I'm talking to. I love Ireland, um, and, um, and I think it's a wonderful, wonderful place. But actually... Ireland's historic prob um, uh, position of neutrality is now a problem when we're dealing with somebody like Vladimir Putin because the West isn't doing enough. And what we, we keep on doing is fighting, the, fighting or helping the Ukrainians fight in a way which, <laughs> which isn't how Russia is fighting this war. 
So we think something like 300,000 Russians have been killed or, or, or um, you know, horribly injured, have been out of the game, and Russia keeps on fighting. And at the moment, Putin seems stronger than ever. So what, just because we're bored with fighting this war, just because we were getting bored with supporting Ukraine, it doesn't mean that Vladimir Putin is bored. He wants Ukraine, but also he wants to show that he is top dog, that his will is stronger, he is more forceful than than Western democracies. So that we've got a we've got a honestly, Anton, it feels like nineteen thirty-eight. We've got to arm our Ukrainian friends and we've got to arm ourselves and we've got to prepare ourselves for the possibility of World War Three so it doesn't happen. I'm not a warmonger. I hate all this stuff. But at the same time, I've been, you know, I've, two two years ago and a couple of weeks, I was in um, the main children's hospital in Kiev with the kids on dialysis machines. And if they left their machines, they would die. And if they stayed in Kiev, they might die because the Russian army was 12 miles away. We do not want that to happen to anywhere else in Europe. And... And if Putin is not stopped in Ukraine, then somewhere else is next, Estonia or something like that. Meanwhile, he's undermining, uh, for example, American democracy, the, the support of the Trumpists, the MAGA people for Putin is, is scary. I'm I scared. I want to pick up on, on what you talked about in relation to the impact of the people uh, in Ukraine. We're joined by Tom McEnany, who is a media consultant and founder of Effective Ukraine. Uh, John, thank you very much for your time this morning. That was John Sweeney, former investigative journalist at the BBC, and his book, of course, is Killer in the Kremlin, if you want to read more about his views on uh, Vladimir Putin. Tom McEnany, the, the um, situation for people um, who are the ultimately suffering the brink of this, or, or the, the brunt of this war, that being um, Ukrainian citizens, What's your own involvement with them and what are you seeing? So <clears throat> at the outbreak of the war, like everybody else, I watched in horror um, the, the scenes on TV of refugees, mostly women and children, desperately trying to flee Ukraine. And I asked myself, what could I, what could I do? I wanted to get into my car and go over and pick up refugees and collect them. Obviously, that's not a very effective um, uh, way of assisting. So I reached out to the Tesla owners group, which is, uh, I happen to own a Tesla. And I was active in the group. And I said, look, if I organise, if we organise a trip, who would like to come along? And uh, a few weeks later, 15 cars headed off and we managed to take back 94 um, uh, refugees and it went so well we said we'll do it again we did five convoys and uh, in the first year and then we transitioned over to uh, bringing people back by plane um, and so which we continued to do up until uh, last Christmas um, when we did our very last uh, mission and so far we've brought back 1,000 about 1,200, uh, almost all women and children from Ukraine to Ireland. And across that period, what have you seen in the way of changes for the people living in Ukraine? Uh, well, I see that, that it's, it's, you, you see a very different um, uh, category of person coming. Um, one of the things you have to remember is at the beginning, women and, uh, and children, particularly women and children, were fleeing um, everywhere because it, it looked like uh, Russia was going to win, Russia was going to take over. Um, the people who are coming now, the people who are coming, who've arrived in the last six months, they're women and they're mothers who've managed to stick it out for a year and a half. Um, and now for two years and have been resolute and have said, I'm going to stay here. And they only they only left eventually when things became desperate. So for the most part, all the 
people we would have assisted last year uh, were women and children coming from frontline cities um, where, where, where the mothers are in fear for the lives of their children. And that's the, as opposed to just a, a general influx of people at the beginning. Now it's people who are particularly desperate. Do you get a sense that there is still, because one of the things that characterised most of the interviews done with people in Ukraine at the early stages of the war was a sense that they would prevail, that they would, uh, no matter what, they would uh, a church, sort of a Churchillian fight them in the, in the uh, beaches and landing grounds kind of thing. Is there still that optimism? Is there still that sense that there is hope? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if I would call it optimism. I, I think Ukrainians are, are an extraordinarily resilient people. Um, I've been over there three times in the last nine months. I, I've, I've pivoted to helping centres for children with special needs in Ukraine, um, So, which takes me over and back. And I'm always amazed at how resolute um, Ukrainians are. There is nobody who who talks in terms of giving up. There's nobody who talks in terms of, of losing this war. They know they have to win this war. And not only for themselves, but for the rest of Europe. I mean, people who think that Vladimir uh, Putin is only at war with Ukraine and doesn't see himself as being at war with Europe are at best naive um, um, and certainly ill-informed. In terms of the kind of reaction then, you described at the outset saying, look, let's go and see if anybody will help and that you got 15 other people who are willing to get involved. There was that sort of wave of support here nationally and around the world for Ukraine when the invasion first happened. Has that waned away into nothing? It certainly, I wouldn't say it's waned into nothing. It has certainly waned quite dramatically. Um, the, the, the kind of feeling we had at the beginning was we all wanted to help. We were all looking at what we can do. Now, the fact is the war is continuing. There are people who are still in need. The need that was there at the beginning of the war two years ago is still there now. And there are mothers and children who still desperately need our help. But yes, um, uh, people have become somewhat tired. Some people might feel that we've done enough when, in fact, you know, we we absolutely need to be trying to do more. Um, but, Anton, I would say there are so many volunteers, Irish volunteers across the, con- the, the country, in counties all across Ireland, who are continuing to assist refugees and doing so with great enthusiasm. So, yes, it has waned, but I wouldn't say it's waned to nothing. I'm conscious that where John uh, Sweeney finished was he talked about the not being a warmonger, but his view being that there needs to be a lot more invested in this war from all of the countries uh, around and that he, by his own description, is frightened. From what you have seen, would you be frightened by the way this is going? I, I, I'm always frightened by the way this is going. Um, yes, I would be very frightened. I think that if Putin wins in Ukraine, he's not going to stop in Ukraine. It would be crazy. I would imagine Moldova would be next and then some of the Baltics. And I think Europe, and particularly Ireland, we have to wake up to the fact that this is our fight too, unless we're going to sit back and allow, allow the EU to be invaded. And we have to start, I think, Ireland has to start taking its uh, own defence much more seriously. Tom, if people want to uh, get involved and uh, provide support to the charity, where do they go? They go to effectiveaidukraine.org. You can contact us there and we're always we're always looking for assistance. So if there's anybody who does want to help, they can find us there at effectiveaidukraine.org.
And I should remind you, obviously, of what Ellen Butler said at the nine o'clock news, that there are a series of uh, Ukraine support marches, walks, rallies, whatever you want to call them, happening around the country. One at the GPO in Dublin at 11 o'clock, one in Grand Parade, Cork uh, at half two in Athlone, uh, Golden Island at 12, Galway at the Cathedral at 12 and so on and so forth. 53106 if you want to get in touch with the show. That was Tom McEnany, media consultant and founder of EffectiveUkraine.org. The Anton Savage Show with Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.